Hey, this is Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder, and I've been on that show. It's a good show, I think. I have to, I'm still figuring out how to listen to podcasts. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Mark Norman. It was all I cared about. Every job I had, I would pick a job that didn't have anything at night, and I had no, like, nothing to bring home with me. So it was all just strategically built around comedy. I had a job that didn't get out until 6.30, and I had to quit it because a lot of open mics started sick. Fun chat with Mark. Boy, you think uh, you've struggled uh, in the comedy world or something that you've done. This guy pounded the pavement for like two straight years and bombed consistently, but he stuck with it. And now he's a very hilarious stand-up comedian, so it proves if you stick to it, you can get better. And, you know, they say, uh, Ira Glass was saying one time that uh, he's the host of This American Life. If you really love to do something, do it. And even though you suck at it at first, man, stick with it and just keep sucking at it and you eventually will get better. And this seems to have worked out for Mark. He'll tell us all about his story in a few minutes. We have the song of the week coming up from They Might Be Giants. But first, as always, a dumb bit. Kind of following up on a controversy we spoke about a couple of weeks ago as far as the naming of sports teams in North America with uh, names that are kind of related to Native Americans, indigenous peoples, and so forth. Well, the issue cropped up uh, close to home, I guess you could say. Uh, In the suburb I live in, we have two high schools, and one of the high schools uh, shares its nickname with Washington's National Football League team. And uh, this report is actually from uh, about a month or two ago. This kind of been going on for a couple of months now. It, it cropped up again. It's been an issue for a long, long time, but it's cropped up again. And there's a, another uh, push now to retire that name and give the team another name. But this report is from uh, a couple of months ago when it when it came back up again. And it's just interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, well, here let's let's start with this. Nine your sides, Ali Kramer is live just outside of your alma mater, friend. So what do you think of this debate? And also, we know this isn't the first time that there's been a push for change. Now, I know this is presumptuous, but if you're thinking Allie Kramer sounds like the whitest white girl name there ever was, you are spot on. All right, go ahead, Allie. Chris, I was digging in the archives this morning, and about 20 years ago, in 1999, there was a push for them to change the name, that Redskin mascot name, but the board voted unanimously to keep the Redskins. Uh, I was here at Anderson High School almost 10 years ago, aging myself a little bit here, and uh, this is what the Redskins looked like. Yeah, this is my sweatshirt. I still have it. And uh, this little guy right here on the uh, football helmet, you know, it's actually a better version than what it used to be because at one point in time, there was a tomahawk sticking out of his forehead. Yes, a shut up. No, um, at least they changed that, I guess. <laughs> they they knew there was some kind of a problem. Like, let's keep the, the nickname, but let's make the, the logo less offensive. It's like that thing I mentioned to you when we discussed this a couple of weeks ago, uh, how the Golden State Warriors used to have a hideous logo, almost as bad as Chief Wahoo. It was a caricature of an Indian dribbling a basketball. And then when they moved to California, they kind of got away from that pretty quickly. And then the Golden State Bridge became their is actually their logo, and Warriors is now just a name, and Warrior could be anybody. So... Well done, Golden State Warriors. But uh, as for the Anderson Redskins, they had a meeting again uh, this year, and uh, people discussed it. And the people protest- protesting the name, excuse me, uh, weren't Native American people. It was white folks like Ali Kramer and me. But uh, people still weren't having it, uh, even though a lot of people said, you know, this, it's time for maybe to, to change nicknames. Uh, well, here, let's ask an old white guy what he thinks. I have been a Redskin since 19 and 
55 when I graduated. I have not yet talked to anyone who has ever graduated from Anderson High School who was ever offended by that name. Okay, that's not who's offended, dummy, all right? Uh, so, I'm, well, I guess some people are, but that's not that's not the main problem. So, anyway, here's the weird thing. Uh, I did some digging, and so did Allie Kramer, and we came across a really fascinating uh, little nugget of historical information. Allie, what have you got? Well, when the school actually opened back in 1929, they were the Anderson Comets. That's right. They changed the name to Redskins, and reportedly it was because a lot of the faculty at the time in 1933 had gone to the University of Miami up the road here in Oxford, Ohio. Uh, their nickname at the time was Redskins. They changed it back in the 90s to Red Hawks. But this, this, is, the, this is the best part. Listen to what she says after that. They were the Anderson Comets, but it doesn't quite have the same ring to it. Anderson Comets. Anderson Comets. Yeah, sounds fine to me. <laughs> What's wrong with that? And the funniest part about that is up the road from us uh, by the amusement park Kings Island. In fact, uh, part of Kings Island sits in the community of Mason. Mason High School's nickname is, of course, you've guessed it already, the Comets. They're the Mason Comets. It's fine. Mason Comets. Anderson Comets. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. So I dug into this a little bit more. And of course, the big controversy nationally involves mostly the Washington Redskins and the Cleveland Indians, uh, occasionally the Atlanta Braves and some other teams as well. But I found an article in the Washington Post from a couple of years ago where they surveyed native peoples, and they it was interesting. Ninety percent of native peoples don't find it offensive; they just don't care. They're just you know, they're not football fans, I guess, or they figure it's meaningless. But uh, they found a couple. The Washington Post did, and uh, well, the wife has this to say. Personally, I think I've probably always taken offense at that word because it, I think the way people say it takes away your, your own personal pride in who you are. Her husband had a different point of view. The name's Rusty Whitworth. I'm a mixture of that Pondere, Kootenai, and Salish. So this guy is proper Native American. Uh, some of the controversy around these polls is that, you know, they call people up and they say, are you Native American? And if you've got like 2% or 3% people go, why, sure I am. Do you need to confirm that your racist football team name is okay? <laughs> I'm spot on with that. But no, this guy is proper Native American, and this is what he had to say about the Washington Redskins team name. To me, it's kind of uh, a recognition of our people. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't find it... Uh offensive or anything. It's it's just the way uh, people use the word then that becomes offensive, you know, such as you dirty redskin or something like that. You know, it's just a name to me. There was also some text that went along with this article in the Washington Post, and I didn't have any audio of anybody saying this, but all through the article, the native peoples refer to themselves as Indians. And I had mentioned that in the last report we did on this uh, up in Canada, this is a journalist I'd heard a couple of years ago talking about, uh, they call them First Nation people in Canada, whereas we call the indigenous folks Native Americans. And they, they, the journalist kept saying Indians, I spoke to the Indians, and he stopped himself and said, by the way, if you're wondering why I'm not saying First Nation people, it's because they don't use that term. They call themselves Indians. So um, that kind of vindicates my baseball team in a way, although that logo still is really dicky. I maintain that. So maybe we can compromise there. I guess the other problem is, too, is despite we've been told kind of this jive that the organization has run, tried to run bias over the years, that, that being the Cleveland Indians organization, is that they say the team was named for Native American, and if you kind of dig into it, that's really 
really stretching it uh, as, far, as far as that goes. And, of course, we had the issue, too, with I told you about when I was in college, the Huron, um, the Eastern Michigan Hurons, the uh, the football team for the university up there, changed their name. And a lot of people in the Huron tribe were like, well, shoot, if it wasn't for that name, uh, people wouldn't know we were here, you know, apart from the big lake, obviously. But still, you know, at least like the guy, the gentleman said before, you know, it's a recognition of Native people. So, you know, it is, it's a it's a dicey situation, I guess. Um, you know, here's the compromise. I think the Redskins, Washington Redskins logo, fine. Looks very noble. He's a very noble-looking Native American. Nickname still doesn't sound right, even if, you know, only 10% of Native Americans don't like it. That First of all, if 10% of people don't like the name of your product, uh, think about changing it. That's one. And two, it just doesn't sound right. And as far as the Indians go, I mean, I guess Indians is fine, but let's get rid of the Dickie logo. So keep Redskins logo, change name. Keep Indians name, change logo. Sorted. If you consider yourself to be an old soul trapped in a modern world, you can relive days gone by in classic imprints from our vast collection at OldSchoolShirts.com. We have vintage tees from all the great American cities like Atlanta, Baltimore, Brooklyn, Chicago, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and more. We've got defunct sports teams, old restaurants, old stores you used to shop at when you were a kid. Just go to OldSchoolShirts.com. It is all one word. Pick up yourself a great and stylish-looking vintage t-shirt, and it really helps the show as well. So as soon as you're done listening, head there. Mark Norman is a stand-up comedian originally from New Orleans, Louisiana, and he has been all over your TV on all the late-night shows, particularly Conan and The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Do check him out there or uh, check him out in your town. I'm sure he'll be coming there soon. Here now is our interview with Mark Norman. Hey, Mark, it's P.F. Wilson from Minneapolis City Pages. How you doing? Hey, hey, pretty good. You caught me on a mid-stair walk-up, so I might be a little breathy. Okay, that's fine. Um, I don't know if I cleared this with your publicist, but it's okay if we use the audio for this on my podcast as well? Sure, let's awesome. do it. Cool, man. All right, so uh, let's marin this thing up. Uh, where are you from originally? I, guess, I, I saw in your bio, of course, it's uh, New Orleans, but um, uh, what was it like growing up in New Orleans? Well, yeah, born in New Orleans, born and raised. Uh, it's a hell of a city to visit. It's a weird place to grow up. I always say New Orleans is like a dad who sells Molly but doesn't drive you to school. You know, you get the fun part, but every now and then you need a hug. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's so. interesting. Uh, my daughter, we're going to have her 21st birthday celebration there in October. 21st? Yep, she wanted it was uh, for a long time. It was going to be Las Vegas, and then we visited New Orleans uh, two years ago on the way back from Texas, visiting relatives. And she fell in love with the city, and then she wanted to have her. She wants to have her twenty first birthday there. Wow, what a cool dad! But I mean, what daughter wants to have a birthday with her dad around? Especially New Orleans, it's a sinful town. Well, that's is exactly why we're going to be there. <laughs> Thank you. We've Are all... you going to like be with her? Yeah, yeah. Whoa, weird. When I was 21, I was trying to bang a, you know, a beaver. I wasn't uh, running around with pups. I, I, well, what can I say? It's, uh, it's, a, it's a different generation nowadays. <laughs> I, I guess so. Well, good for you guys. Yeah, I turned, I'm jealous of your relationship. I, I turned 21 at college, and yeah, my friends went out and got me drunk, and I walked home, so I wouldn't throw up in my friend's car. So there you go. 
There you go. The that's good old days. It's a traditional. That's what we call a traditional birthday uh, in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so did were you? I know it said again in your bio that you were uh, interested in making short films when you were younger. Did you have an interest in comedy too, or was it in film or all media, or what was kind of your interest level in entertainment at that point? Well, as a kid, I was obsessed with movies. Like comedy to me was just life. Like just being funny was just part of life. You know, you and your friends dicking around all day, joking, cracking wise. But movies felt like a real thing because there was a camera and editing, and a script. So I felt like I could maybe do something with this. And I went to film school, and, you know, I made a lot of short films. And when I was a kid, we used to skateboard. And I would film us all skating and then make funny videos and edit it all together. And it was, I felt like this could be, you know, like a real career. But I didn't realize comedy, you could just do that. Like, you'd just be funny instead. You know, but I always saw Bill Cosby or Steve Martin or Seinfeld or Eddie Murphy. To me, they were just like, oh, that's insane. Nobody, being an astronaut. Right, exactly. Did I lose you? No, no. So at what point did you realize that 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 was, that, uh, you know, a a lay person could eventually do that job? Well, uh, I think college, and I went and did an open mic, and it went pretty well, and that was it. I was like, oh, you can just do this. And then uh, after you did uh, an open mic, how, did you d- do comedy? Where did you go to college? Was it locally, like in New Orleans, or was it out of state? Or uh, I went to uh, a few colleges. I got failed out of a bunch, but I went to Southeastern, okay, which is in Hammond, Louisiana. I failed out of UNO, and then I went to Baton Rouge Community College. So technically, I finished at Southeastern. Okay. I tell people I went to LSU just because it's easy. They've heard of it. Yeah. But yeah, Southeastern. Okay, so... That went to film school in New York. Oh, okay. Is that why you went to New York originally then? Or was it to do comedy or both? No, I went for uh, film school and fell in love with... I hated doing the movies. You had to get the actors together, and it was so much scheduling, and you had to write the script and get the gaffer and the grip and the equipment and the film and cameraman. So it just became too much, and I was like, this is more stress than it is fun. But I was doing sets at night. And that was what I really fell in love with. I was like, this is so much easier. And then compared to movie making, which is such a process. Uh, so once I started doing the sets at night, I was like, this is way easier and way more fun and just kind of a, a load off. So I just fell in love with that. And then I moved back to New Orleans after school ended. And there was so little comedy in New Orleans. Like in New York, there's 8 million shows a night to get on. And in New Orleans, there was one a week, maybe, maybe two if you were lucky. So I was like, I gotta go back up there and knock this out. Yeah, it seems interesting. New Orleans, for all the different kind of arts they have there, you know, music and visual arts and everything, that comedy, uh, at least maybe up until recently, wasn't really uh, amongst those. Totally. I mean, it's a it's a tourist town, so you think it would work, but when people go to New Orleans, they want to go drink, they want to go listen to music, they want to get laid, they want to watch a stripper, they want to catch a bead, hear some jazz. They don't want to sit there and listen to some guy's thoughts on, you know, uh, uh, escalators. They want to hear, you know, a trombone. So when you got back to New York, did you uh, do kind of what you know everybody kind of does, is run from show to show and uh, stand on corners and pass out bills to try to get people to come to shows and things like that? Or what, what, was it a kind of different trajectory? Oh, no, that's exactly what I did. I just completely engulfed myself in comedy and 
you know, I got mugged a few times. I got I blacked out drunk. I got lost in the subway. Oh my gosh. I, you know, my landlord died of AIDS. I got bed bugs. Like every horrible thing that you could think of happened. And uh, I just kept doing God. It was all I cared about. Every job I had, I would pick a job that didn't have anything at night. And I had no, like, nothing to bring home with me. So it was all just strategically built around comedy. I had a job that didn't get out till 6.30. And I had to quit it because a lot of open mics started sick. Oh. I couldn't make it, so I just quit that job. <laughs> so what kind of jobs did you have? Like, retail or was uh, it? I did it all. I wanted jobs that wouldn't take up any space in my brain. So the first job, sadly enough, I went back to New York Film Academy because it was the only place I knew. And I said, hey, dickheads, uh, you remember me? Can I work here now? Which, by the way, says a lot about the school. You know, you're supposed to go out and become a filmmaker. I went and became a secretary of the Film Academy. So, yeah, I went to the Film Academy and they let me be a file clerk. So I sat in a room. They weren't digital yet. So I filed papers in a giant room, wall-to-wall file cabinets, no windows. And just filed papers all day, listening to an iPod, and uh, yeah, had to quit that gig. And then I became a furniture mover, I became a temp, a busboy, and then eventually a janitor. And that that really stuck. That was a great job. Ironically, it sounds like the worst one, but that was killer because, you know, earbuds in, mopping the floor, changing the coffee, cleaning the bathroom, hanging pictures cleaning ventilation ducts, and every day on my lunch break, I would get a Subway sandwich for five bucks huh. and just write in the boiler room. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So was it a process of, uh, you know, just writing and taking stuff up on stage and seeing what worked, or did you have, get a pretty good idea before you go up what was going to work, or what was that process like? Oh, well, that's just comedy in general. I mean, every every show is a gamble. You have no idea what's going to happen. Um I'm still, I'm better now than I was before, but I'm still, uh, I still have a joke I write down. I'm like, this is gold. This is, this is a can't miss. And then it'll bomb and they'll hate me and I'll get booed <laughs> off stage and they'll kill my family. But yeah, otherwise, yeah, that's basically it. You just, I bombed for years in New York. I remember I bombed for like two years straight and eventually at one show, some guy heckled me and I just snapped and I lost my shit on this guy. And after that, I got a lot better because I almost had to like shed the skin of like being a fake kind of performery comedian. Oh, okay. And this, this guy on stage heckled me. I just went nuts on him. It was like years of frustration that came out. And after that, I was a little more myself on stage. And I think that went a long way. So, how did you keep going though in those two years? I mean, did, did you did you at least see like to yourself that there was improvement going on in the writing and the jokes, or was it just you know? It would, it would, it was just my life. I was like, I'm a comedian. This is what I do. And I'm bombing, but I keep getting up and keep writing and keep trying. And it was just, I, there was no other choice. I had no backup plan. I had no skills or degree in anything interesting. And I, I just felt like this is it. Here we go. Let's uh, go full, full throttle. And uh, eventually just little things would pick up and give you a little bit of hope. I think also it was a young thing. Like I was early twenties. And, you know, you just kind of carefree back then. So I wasn't like, what about my future, a mortgage, my 401k? What am I going to do? Healthcare. I was just going through the motions, getting drunk every night and writing <laughs> jokes every day. And that was life. That's what my life was. And looking back, it was, it was awesome. And it, it all paid off. Yeah. That's really the thing. People go, Oh, you're, you do an hour of comedy every night. It must be nice. You don't have a real job. I'm like, 
Yeah, that's true because I sacrificed. I yes. fucking picked it up in the beginning and gave up my family and moved to a new town and got robbed and got mugged and got fucked with and bombed and humiliated and rejected. And now it's finally paying off. So that's really the sacrifice. Yeah, well, there yeah, and people don't realize that you know that they, until they you know, they see you on TV, they think you've come out fully formed. Exactly, they don't realize that hours and years of bombing and humiliating yourself, and you know, public speaking is the number one fear yes. for most people, and that's what we're doing every night. I was giant stage fright for probably the first you know ten, ten, twelve months of just bombing. And shaking up there, and I my legs would spasm out of fear. That was my big thing. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so, yeah, but it's all gone now. Now it's just fun, and I'm having a great time, and living the dream. Yeah. So, at what point were you able to, you know, quit doing the day jobs and do comedy full time? Oh boy, it took a while. I'd say uh, full time, probably six years of of toiling along. Um, I met Amy Schumer. That was a huge help, and yeah, he started with for her, then I started with for Tom Papa and like Tommy okay. John again. I oh, yeah, years no. ago he got my manager. I know all them. Yeah, yeah, they're all good, good eggs. They are good eggs. And uh, Jackie Cation. Yeah, had a great yeah. time. What's that? That's a Jackie Cation saying. She always calls people good eggs. Uh, oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. She always says he's he's a good egg or she's a good egg. Yeah, that's a, that's a Jackieism. Oh, I, I always hear that on the podcast. Her. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's an old expression, but she's the only one I know that actually uh, uses it. Uh, probably because we're yeah, good. She's, a, she's a good egg. She is a good egg, yeah. Her, well, her and I are close to the same age, so that's probably another reason why uh, we talk all old-timey. But, um, yes, I love old-timey. Yeah. Um, hold on, let me tell the troops uh, something real quick. I, the oven's preheating. I'll get it going in a second. Anyway, um, trying to get dinner sorted here uh, in a few minutes. I hear you. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what a, do you have any like um, notions of going back to doing film or doing other kind of projects like that? Uh, well, geez, uh, I like. I still like you know writing stuff, and I've written a million sketches. I've written four sitcoms, two game shows, a couple reality shows. I pitched them all, but they all no one wanted them. But. Uh, yeah, always, always got ideas, always uh, writing stuff down, and I keep everything I have in case, because you know a lot of times you'll pitch a show, and it won't go, obviously, but if I was, if I was, uh, you know, who's a, you know, Whitney Cummings, they would just be like, oh yeah, we'll buy it, or if I was Vince Vaughn, or if I was somebody like that, I think they'd buy it. So if I ever get any juice, and get any, you know, respect in this biz, I feel like I just pull this stuff out, and now we've got a show going, now we got a movie going, now we got a sitcom. There you go. Yeah. And so folks who have seen maybe your work on Conan or some of the other late night shows is because I know sometimes guys, it's the, the those sets are, are pretty indicative of what they do. And other times it's not because you have to you know really kind of change your the way you do things to fit into that five minutes. Is that is that which kind of camp do you fall into? Uh, I try to I've done Conan six times now, and I feel like the booker really gets me, which I, you know, I'm so thankful for because not everybody gets you. And so I, I think they they let me kind of be me the most, and it's paid off. But I did the night show, and I had to really tweak some stuff. And it's ironic because you you come up in these clubs, and you you're basically in front of a focus group every night, and you decide, <laughs> okay, that got a big laugh, I'll keep that. So you you you're, you whittled your act down to its funniest parts, and then you go on the Tonight Show, and they go, oh, you can't say that, and you're like, I realize that kind of dirty but this is the funniest way to say this i've you know figured that out over many many sets 
So that's just kind of a thing you got to deal with. But I feel like I'm pretty good uh, about being the same guy on, on TV as I am in the clubs. And what kind of stuff do you talk about on stage? I mean, I saw some of the stuff uh, online, but it, when you have a chance to kind of like stretch your legs and you know have like a 45-minute set, what, what kind of things do you usually cover? Oh, I take all the big ones. I, I like all the big, uh, you know, people. I'm all very social. It's all dating, race, gay, men, women, uh, relationships, you know, travel, kind of everyday stuff, but it also has kind of an edge. God, I sound like such a douche. But, you know, it's all like, it's kind of observational, but like, I have a, a joke about the term douchebag. Like, it's weird that the term is more popular than the actual product. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. It's an observation, yeah. but it's still like, still using the word douchebag. And it's, uh, I, I call it like a observational adult things. It's still adult humor, but it's not really dirty. Right. But it's adult, but it's observational. It's yeah, kind of yeah. Seinfeld if you had probably had like three glasses of wine and a, and a Percocet. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, great, man. I uh, appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, glad I've got this finally put together. And um, this will be in print and online in City Pages uh, the week that you're up there in Minnesota. And then uh, hopefully we can get you down here in Cincinnati sometime as well. Have you ever been to Cincinnati? I, I've been to Cincinnati. I love that town. I think it's underrated. Uh, Over the Rhine is cool. Yes. Um but I did go bananas years ago. I had a great time. And then I did Liberty Township, yeah, yeah, which I think is the funky bone. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a little tougher because it was, a, you know, it's kind of like the Applebee's of comedy. It's a, it's a different crowd. It's a let's go see a comedian versus people like at Go Bananas who, you know, it's to get comedy, basically, is how it works. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. isn't that funny? Because I don't feel like other genres have that. Like, no one, no one's going to the movies like... Oh, I hope we see something good. And they see Pulp Fiction and they, you know, <laughs> complain to the movie people. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Or music or any of those other things. But, um, yeah, we'll hopefully get you back to the, to the right club then. Hope we get you back to Bananas. And, uh, we'll get you some here to, as well. Yeah. Great, man. Well, terrific. Well, uh, good luck the rest of the way. And again, thanks for taking the time. Thank you, sir. And sorry if I talked too much. I oh, drank no. some coffee and I have to no, take was, a boom boom. No, that was the, <laughs> well, that was the idea. So thanks, Mark. Thank you, and sorry about the cutting out as well. Oh, no problem. All right, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Thanks to Mark Norman for being on the show. You can catch Mark Utzi at Magubi's Joke House in Timonium, Maryland. Not sure if that's a suburb of D.C. or Baltimore. I reckon it's one of the two. May 3rd through the 5th at the Acme Comedy Company in Minneapolis. And he's at the Dayton Funny Bone right up the road from us here on May 17th. How about that for a one-off? And then he goes to Comedy Works in Denver, the very famous Comedy Work Club. The rest of his schedule, he's touring all through the rest of the summer. You can find it at Mark and... Uh, you can find that at marknormancomedy.com, and Norman is like Norman with a D attached to it, so there you go. Song of the Week is from They Might Be Giants. Uh, gotta be honest, I kind of soured on They Might Be Giants a couple of years ago, largely for the same reasons I've kind of soured on a lot of uh, my old bands, is because they don't really make good records anymore. Um, and it's why I like OMD still, because OMD still makes good records, and Depeche Mode and New Order and those bands. Although I haven't heard the whole New Order album yet, the new one, uh, so I'll, I'll reserve judgment there. But a lot of it's just the, the tank runs dry after a while, it seems. And I think that kind of happened a bit with They Might Be Giants, although I always defended They Might Be Giants. I always found it odd that a group like Bare Naked Ladies, who I'm not mad at, uh, people love the fact they were quirky and funny and clever, and people hated They Might Be Giants for exactly the same reason. 
And they might be challenged. Like, we're, we're much better at it, by the way. I think Bare Naked Ladies kind of stole their shtick. But anyway, uh, they might be giants. In the last couple albums, we're fine. Um, saw them this week because Fangirl covered the show for Pop Culture Beast. And while I like They Might Be Giants just fine, I didn't want to fork over 40 bucks to see them, so I called the publicist and said, hey, I'll cover this for uh, City Beat, the paper I write for here in town. They said, sure, fine. And uh, But it was a great show. They opened for themselves, first of all, which was a great move. Save yourself some money there, guys. And it was a two-half show. There was an intermission in between. Most cities, from what we could tell on set list, just got two separate sets. Uh, we got a treat. We got a, a first set of a mix of new songs and the hit singles, and then we got the album Flood from 1990, probably what people would consider their, their landmark album, their best album, although I'm not sure I completely agree on that, uh, in reverse. How quirky of them. And a lot of cities didn't get that, and I told Fangirl, I think the reason we probably got that is because we had a radio station here at the time that they were, they might be giants were getting big, uh, the station was getting big, it was called WOXY97X, you might have heard of it if you're, you know, a uh, very influential alternative radio station, they played They Might Be Giants a lot, so I reckon that's why we got Flood. And, uh, of course, we lost a couple of hit singles in the process. Didn't get Purple Dupay, uh, didn't get Shoehorn with Teeth, so we, and didn't get Anna Ang, and there was one other one they were going to, they played in some other towns that we didn't get. But we did get Flood in reverse. Everybody knew all the words. People were singing along, so it was a smart move on the part of John and John, who, by the way, look great. Uh, John Linnell, other, uh, otherwise known as Skinny John, looks exactly the same. And John Flansburg, I guess you would say not Skinny John, a touch of gray, other than that, fine, sounded great. Weird thing about Flansburg, Linnell sings most of the lead vocals. Flansburg sings lead vocals on some songs. And he did the lead on New York City. It was a cover of a song by a band called Cub that they toured with back in the 90s. Great tune, by the way, from a very fine album called Factory Showroom. Anyway, he did the lead on that, and it seemed like he was kind of holding back his voice like it was giving out or something. But then at the end of the song, he smashed it. And then he smashed it the rest of the concert, particularly on the vocal bridge in Istanbul, Constantinople. I mean, he was right up there hitting those notes. So I don't know. Maybe it's just an odd song. Maybe it's not really in his range. But, uh, you know, any any panic was was uh, assuaged. Uh, great show. Uh, they did a fine job. And speaking of the new material, uh, this new album I kind of like a lot. It's called I Like Fun. And I like this album. The single from it is called I Left My Body, and this is going to be our song of the week on PS Tape Recorder. I think it really, it's good melody, good tune, quirky lyrics. Uh, it is just right what you expect from They Might Be Giants, and it still sounds fresh, though. That's the thing, too. It doesn't, it doesn't needlessly sound contemporary. It doesn't really harken back to their old sounds so much that you think, oh, this, they're being all retro now. But it's just a solid tune. I Left My Body, song of the week on PS Tape Recorder. So long, and thanks for listening. Oh.